Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 23, and verse 32. Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 23, verse 32. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Verse 23 reads, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, uh, we welcome you. It encourages us by you being here. And we want to be an encouragement to you. We're thankful for a great past Sunday. We appreciate John Michael and the emphasis that was placed on involvement. We appreciate each of our deacons and the emphasis that they place in their life of serving God and faithfulness and allowing all of us to have the opportunity to be involved in, in organized kingdom work so that we can do greater good working together to exalt the cause of Christ. And again, we want to give you just a simple reminder uh, if something was said last week that sparked your interest and you were thinking, I want to get involved and, and maybe there's a particular area or maybe it leaves you just having questions, uh, please don't let that interest wane without doing something about it. Do something about it this week. Be sure and get in touch with us. Let us know your interest and we would love to connect you uh, with the right individual that can connect you with the right ministry so that you can fulfill uh, what God's uh, abilities that he has given you in your life. It's a wonderful thing to be able to serve God and we want to be able to encourage each other in that every day of our life. As we think about the theme for this year, soul focus, uh, we think especially in the month of February about us being a flock and usually we say a flock of sheep but think individually we're made up of body and soul and so we think this month about ourselves being a flock of souls. As we go to this next slide, I'd like for you to see where we'll try to go this month. This morning, we're going to be studying from the book of Ezekiel. And in this book, we learn, and it is passionately communicated throughout the life and the work of Ezekiel, that God cares for souls. Now keep in mind, he is revealing this or either reinforcing this to them at a time that they are in exile. It would have been very easy for them to believe God has deserted us. God doesn't love us. But even though God does care for us, it does not relieve us of personal responsibility. And so next week, we're going to spend a lot of time in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, just as the text this morning comes from the 18th chapter. But we'll look at many more verses next week, and we will see that the theme really of that chapter is an emphasis on personal responsibility. But you'll notice there, third, we're also going to look this month that since we're a flock of souls, God has never isolated us. But God puts us in a community of believers, oftentimes referred to as a flock or a family or a body. In other words, we're all in this together. We ought to care for each other. What responsibility do we have to care for each other's soul? And then finally, what responsibility do we have when souls are straying? Is it fine for us to give just a casual effort or no effort at all? And I think we know what the answer to that is, but let's study that from God's Word. When we look at this beautiful study of Ezekiel this morning, 
I'd like for us to see God for who he really, really is. On the little bit of the lighter side, a small town prosecuting attorney, he walked closer to the witness as she would, has just entered the stand, and she was a grandmotherly, elderly type woman, and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, well, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were born. And frankly, you're a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate good people, you talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot, and the reality is you'll never amount to anything. You just don't know it yet. The lawyer was somewhat stunned, didn't know how to respond to that, so he pretended that nothing was said. And he turned and he pointed in the direction of the defense attorney and he says, do you know Mr. Bradley? She said, well, certainly. I babysitted him when he was young and the truth is I'm very disappointed in him also. He's lazy, he's bigoted, he has a drinking problem, he can't build a normal relationship with anyone and he has the worst law practice in all of the state. Well, by this time, the courtroom is, is laughing, they're whispering with each other, and the judge wraps everybody to attention, brings order back in the court, and immediately calls the counselors to the bench, calls them in closer, he leans to the edge of the bench, he puts his head against his, he whispers to them in a very strong tone, if either of you ask if she knows me, you're going to jail. <laughs> It's interesting when someone says, oh, I know him, because then you wonder, what does that mean? Is it about to be, I know him, or I know her, and there's wonderful compliments? Or is it going to be, oh, I know them, and then you start learning things that you never knew? Or you know what perhaps is even worse? What about when someone says they know you, and they begin to speak about you, but they misrepresent you? What about when they say things and they're simply not true? Your character's being defamed and yet none of it's true. Do you realize that one of the things that Ezekiel was doing in the book of Ezekiel was he was going to Judah to try to say, let me help you see God again. You're not understanding really who God is. Your life and your faith hasn't exemplified that. You need to wipe the sin out of your eyes so that you can see God again. The book of Ezekiel, of course, is named after the prophet himself. The word Ezekiel means God strengthened. And let me pause for just a moment and say, it's not oftentimes that I would have the, the privilege to do what I'm about to do with you over the next few minutes. There's probably not oftentimes you have this, this great opportunity. You know, this, this past week as I was studying uh, for this sermon, I looked at my shelves in my library and I was really surprised that I had very little on the book of Ezekiel. So I thought, I'm going to run to the library and I'm going to grab some books on Ezekiel. So I went back to the back wall where the commentaries are and without paying very close attention at all, I just looked for the word Ezekiel and I pulled a stack of probably six or eight commentaries and I made my way back to the office. I laid them on the floor. Matter of fact, they're still there. And, and some of them. And, and so I began reading through them. And so I, I read through the first couple and I work my way down. And, and as, I picked, as I picked this one up, the truth for today commentary, I thought to myself, this will be a good one. This, this is usually a good series. And then I glanced at the name, Denny Petrello. I thought, wow, 
I think a lot of Denny. I forgot that he wrote this. And he's going to be here Sunday morning. Denny, wave your hand there. Be sure, if you will, after services, get to know Denny. He is a scholar in the brotherhood and a tremendous man of God. He is uh, the president of the biblical studies of Bear Valley. And we're thankful that he's here this morning. Some of the things that we'll be covering in the introduction of Ezekiel this morning will be coming from the masterful work that he did there. But God is so good to us to give us great resources in the brotherhood. And I'm thankful for Denny and all that he does. But let's think for just a moment about, about Ezekiel. The word means, the name itself means God strengthens and it's somewhat ironic and probably not anything uh, that, that except on purpose in the mind of God that he is sent with the name Ezekiel because it is interesting that as long as Judah or Israel, as long as they were close to God, God strengthened them. And whenever they left God, what did they leave? They left God's strength. If you have your Bibles open, I don't have a slide for this, but if you have your Bibles open, turn over to Ezekiel, the 30th chapter, and let's look at an example of this. In Ezekiel, the 30th chapter, in verse 24, you can imagine that probably some of those in Israel or Judah, some of them would be saying, why did we get in this situation? Is it, is it that Babylon is, is this great empire and, and God no longer has strength? How would you answer that? How do you think Babylon got their strength to take over the nation of Judah? Well, let's read where they got their strength. The 30th chapter, verse 24. I, this is God speaking, will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. But I will break Pharaoh's arm and he will groan before him and the groaning's mortality wounded man. What is the teaching there? It's simply this. God strengthens God sent Ezekiel, a man's name that meant God strengthens to tell Judah, let me tell you how powerful God is. You're sitting over here in exile and you're probably asking the question, where's God in all this? God is still as strong as he's ever been. When you were with him, you were a strong nation. When you left him, you left your strength. And so God allowed another nation to rise up, giving them power to conquer you, to show you God strengthens. This morning... I beg you to take application of this into your life. Do you realize that God strengthens and if you leave God, you leave the strength that God has to offer? Your family. I've heard parents, young parents today say, I'm afraid to have children. The world is so wicked. You don't have to be afraid to have children as long as you raise your children to lean upon God. God's strength is greater than anything that they will face. Congregations face a lot of challenges today. We don't have to be afraid of the challenges as long as we stand with God because God strengthens. Everything that we've enjoyed for over a hundred years at the Mount Juliet congregation is not simply because we've had good people. And it's not simply because we've had men that were good leaders. It's because the good men and the good leaders leaned on the almighty God. God strengthens. Friends, we as a church family or as individual families will falter immediately when we leave God. Individually, where are you today? I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you, if you are close to God, you're okay. And if you are not close to God, you are not okay. 
God is the difference. It's not you. It's God that makes the difference. God strengthens. Now we think about this man, not just his name. He was called to be a prophet. At 25 years of age, he was deported, left his home against his own will, taken by the Babylonians, and there he lives in exile. And at the age of 30, he began a, a 20 plus years of ministry speaking for God. It's interesting that his contemporary was Daniel, also in the same land, except he spoke to the more wealthy and powerful. He worked around the king as a prophet. And here he worked around the common men, Ezekiel did, still in Babylonian captivity as a prophet. And interestingly, poor Jeremiah, you remember the one who had a lot of lamentations? Poor Jeremiah was left with the very few that was left after the, the kingdom was taken into exile. Those few poor people that were left scattered around, he was left to prophesy to them. But let's think about the... The, the, the nation for just a moment of Judah. Who was Judah? Well, we've already referred a lot to it, but let's just state a couple of things and then move on. Judah was a nation that, it, that was God's people. And as long as they had been close to God, they were powerful because of God's strength. But what happened was they began to look to other sources to God for their strength. And so when they feared other nations, they started trying to team up their efforts with other nations instead of leaning upon God. That's why he mentioned Pharaoh in that verse we just read. There were times where they turned to Egypt and tried to get Egypt to protect them when that was rebellion against God's will. God's will was, you lean upon me. Don't lean upon foreign nations. Well, what happened when they leaned upon foreign nations? It cost them economically as well as spiritually because now they were indebted to them. And it cost them spiritually and morally in great ways because when they leaned upon them, their foreign pagan ways were brought stronger into the nation of Judah. And the next thing you know, you have worshiping false gods and all the immorality that went along with that. So who is Judah at the time this is written? They're a fallen people because they had left the God that strengthened them and they found themselves in exile. And he is sent to try to help them. Well, let's think about this message as we look on the next screen. Notice these four things very quickly. One thing that he's trying to communicate throughout this book is that enslavement is due to their sinfulness. It's not because God has lost power. It's not because God does not love them anymore. It's simply the result of their sin. Number two, their punishment was to lead them to know that I am the Lord. That's a recurring theme. God wants them to know who he is. Number three, the broader principle, and we'll see this strongly next week, is that the soul that sins shall die. That's personal responsibility. That's going to be a huge part of next week's lesson. And number four, so the answer is not God saying, I want to write you this book to tell you how doomed you are and I'm disappointed with you and I've given up with you and I've written you off completely. Instead, the purpose of this book is to say, I want to call you back. I want you to repent. I want you to turn and I want you to live. And so he writes a beautiful and a powerful passage. On the next slide, you see another example of how we could just look broadly at the entire book. On one hand in this book, we see God's holiness. On the other hand, we see Israel's sinfulness. On one hand, we see God's punishment. On the other hand, we see that there was individual responsibility involved. But again, the finality to all of this is God is telling them all of this 
through the man whose name means God strengthens, he's telling them to say, I can bring you back. I have the strength to restore you. You ever been down and out? Some of us in this room have been very much down and out. And you also have had enough faith and enough courage to know this. Your ability to get back up again was not because of the strength you had in and of yourself. The strength that you had was because of God. God is the one who restores us to His greatness again, to enjoy the potential that He has bestowed upon us. I'd like for you to think for a moment, and probably in an audience like this, some of you have probably been in a a windstorm that carried a dust that's called a dust storm. This is a picture of one in Phoenix in 1935. It's one that that blew so strongly that in the grapes of wrath it was said, houses were shut tight and cloth wedged around doors and windows, but the dust came in so thinly that it could not be seen in the air. And it settled like pollen on the chairs and tables on the dishes. On this next slide, we see another picture of a dust storm in July 5th of 2011 in the same Phoenix area. But on this next slide, I'd like for you to think about what sin does to us. Have you ever been in any kind of dusty situation where the dust was so thick you couldn't see the person next to you? I won't give you the long version, but I worked in a grain elevator. And there were many settings in a grain elevator where you would be shoveling wheat and a person would be just three feet away from you and you couldn't see them at all just because there was that much dust in the air. Can you imagine how easy it is to look over and see each other? Can you imagine a dust storm where literally someone says, hey, are there people over there? And you say, I don't know. I can't see anything. Now notice, it doesn't change the reality. They're still there. But the fact is, the dust blinds us. Friends, do you realize what sin does to our spiritual vision? Sin blinds us. It doesn't change the reality. Remember how we began this morning? Do you know God? If you are trying to see God from a heart that is full of sin... And from a path that is far from righteousness, you know what? You can't really see God for who He is. Because you're looking at God through dust-filled eyes. You're looking at God through, through the fact of sin. And a lot of the time, that's when people, they mischaracterize God. That's when they state things about how much God must hate them. That's when they talk about a God who's not loving That's when they talk about a God who who loves to condemn them. And so Ezekiel is sent to people who are down and out. And he is pleading for them to get past their sin. And they have responsibility in that. They're going to have to repent. They're going to have to turn back to God. But he's showing them, if you can make that turn, You can see God for who He really, really is. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew, the fifth chapter and verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. What can they do? They can see God. We can't see God for how we ought to see God when our heart isn't pure. 
Or do you remember our theme verse for this year? Mark 8, 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, when we get distracted by worldly things, we begin to think they are so important. And then the things that are really important, we begin to think they're not important. Why would we do that? We would do that because we're not seeing God clearly. Listen, until I see God clearly, I cannot understand who I am and why I'm here and what is my purpose and what is beyond this life. I must start by seeing God. That's why the Bible begins with us seeing God as the creator. That's why the gospel of John begins by seeing Jesus Christ as the creator. That's why when Paul went and preached to, to pagans or those that were worshiping idols in Acts the 17th chapter, they didn't know God at all. Where was he going to begin? The first place he begins is by saying, let me show you God, your creator. When we can see God, we can then better understand ourselves. So in the little bit of time we have left this morning, I want, you to, I want you to go back to that text that was read. And we'll add on another verse too. But I want you to see, all we're trying to do here is, is to read what God would have Ezekiel to say to some people who were down and out so that they could see God better. Let's look back at that 18th chapter. And let's look at verse 23. Do I, God is speaking, have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Is that strange that we need to address this? There would be some here that you see God's love and God's grace so much so that you would say, surely no one would believe that God enjoys telling a wicked person, depart from me, prepare for the devil and his angels. But yet on the other hand, there may be someone here that you have viewed God through the lenses of sin so long that you really believe God just can't wait to condemn me. God just can't wait to condemn evil people. And so what is the message that, that God wants Ezekiel to give? And the message is, do you really think I have any pleasure in seeing wicked people condemned? And then he puts it in opposition. Would I rather see them turn and repent and live? Or would I rather see them condemned? And you can almost imagine like God saying, you wouldn't really think that my choice would be for them to be condemned, would you? And so he sends Ezekiel to give this message. Romans, the second chapter in verse four, we read about the goodness of God, but I want you to notice how he says it here. This is Paul speaking. He says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What is the long suffering of God? The long-suffering of God is the opportunity that God gives us to return to Him. Why would He do that? Because it's not His pleasure to see any wicked person perish. What is the forbearance of God? The forbearance of God is saying, I will share your burdens. You're carrying a spiritual load because, because you have sinned and the consequences of sin is eternal death. 
And that's a burden that you can't bear alone and live. And he says, you know what? I love you so much. I'm going to send my son to die for you. And we are going to forbear with you. We want to share that burden. Do you want Jesus as your savior? Do you want to take his yoke? Do you want to yoke up with him? Why would God do that? Because it's not God's will to see anyone perish. And then he talks about goodness here. Is there anything that is more good? Goodness? Is there anything better? And a man lay down his life for his friend? Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? Do you realize how much God loves you? The goodness of God is screaming out, I don't have pleasure in people dying lost. The goodness of God is crying out, I will forbear with you. Can we join in a partnership, a relationship that we can enjoy for an eternity? My long suffering is, if I wanted to destroy you, you want to be sobered? You think about this. Why are you alive right now? It's not because God didn't take your next breath. It's because God gave you your next breath. God is not only our creator. God is the one in which we survive day in and day out. Do you realize that if God really wanted to see wicked people die lost, do you realize what he would do? He would wait until all of us sinned, and then at the moment we sinned, he just wouldn't give us our next breath. And what would the result be? The result would be eternal damnation. But instead, what did God do? God suffered long. Do you remember that passage in 1 Peter, the third chapter and verse 20? He's talking about the long suffering of God and he calls it the divine long suffering. And notice he compares that to his divine long suffering when Noah was building the ark. In other words, he did not send the flood 50 years in to a project of building an ark that was going to take 100 years. He suffered long. He gave Noah the opportunity to have the sufficient time to come to him. Why? He didn't want to see Noah and his family perish. The divine long-suffering. This morning, do you realize that the opportunity that God gave you a sunrise and God put breath in your lungs and blood beating through your heart and that he has brought you here this morning. I'm not saying this lightly. God is giving you the opportunity to experience his long suffering, for you to see his forbearance, for you to recognize his goodness so that you can understand it's not his will that any of us here should perish. God strengthens. Are we going to go to him and say, I want to be saved. I want to be your child. I turn, I repent. I want to come to you to live. Or are we going to turn our back on the long suffering of God? Let's go back to that one more time there in Ezekiel 18 and 23. Notice what he says in the last part. I know we just read it, but I'd like to read it again. I'd like for you to notice that last part. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? and not that he should turn from his ways and live. That turning from the ways and live is how so oftentimes in the scriptures, the scriptures define repentance. For all that God does, he places responsibility on us. 
He's not going to save us while we're set in staying in sin. He will only save us when we're committed to turn. But notice, it's not just that we are turning from sin. We miss a huge point when we simplify it to that. We are saved when we turn from sin to turn to Him. He's the Savior. We have to turn from sin to Him. And so here is the plea. Here's a nation that is in exile. They know what it's like to suffer some dire consequences of sin. And he's turning to them to say, why don't you turn from that? Why don't you turn to God? Let's drop at the end of this same chapter. And I'd like for you to read with me 30 through 32. And as we read this, we're going to see some of the very same points that we've read earlier. And we won't make them all again, but I'd just like for you to see this. Ezekiel 18 and 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way. See the personal responsibility there? Says the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die O house of Israel for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies says the Lord God therefore turn and live when Paul went around preaching under the new covenant preaching Christianity in Acts the 26th chapter and verse 20. You see there on the screen, he went to some Jews and a lot of Gentiles and at the end of verse 20, that they should repent, turn to God and do the works befitting repentance. See that last line is describing a new life that he's going to have because he's turned to God, because he stopped those works. When we read in 2 Corinthians the, ninth, the seventh chapter, verse nine and 10, Paul says to those people, and I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer the loss for us in nothing. What was he saying there? He said, I'm not sorry that you're sorry because your sorrow that you're experiencing right now is actually what is saving your soul. So Paul is saying, I actually am glad that you're sorry. Why? Because he describes it here in verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When we see the sorrow of the world, we see something that is horrible. Because what it leads to is not eternal life. But when we see the sorrow of God, the sorrow of God leads us to be sorry for our sin and turn to the one who can help us have forgiveness of it. I'd like for us to close by going to Ezekiel 33 and 11. You're going to think, why are we reading this? It's the very same thing. Well, it is, but I want to just close with that last phrase. Ezekiel 33 and 11. <clears throat> Ezekiel 33 and 34 are very strong passages that talk about the responsibility that shepherds have to care for each other's souls, not just their own. And so here in Ezekiel 33 and 11, later on in the month, we'll look at some of these chapters right here. Look what he says in 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked 
turn from his way and live. Notice this. Notice the duplicate here. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Someone says, stop, stop. Someone says, come here, come here. What does he say? Turn, turn. Why? It's that urgent. You can't think of anything more important, anything more important than the need to turn to God. Do you see your soul? Do you see your God? Do you see your eternity? And if what you see is that your soul is separated from God, what God would have a preacher to say is, turn, turn. Why? He wants them to argue, if you will. You may think that's a strange way to put it, but he kind of does. Do you notice that last question? For why should you die, O house of Israel? How should they answer that? Oh, let me tell you the reason that we should die. Let me, let me tell you the reason that we should be separated from God and die eternally. Let me tell you the reason we like it like this. Let me tell you the reason that when we look into eternity and we see we could live with you forever or we could live in condemnation separated from you forever, let me tell you why we want to live eternally separated from you. Do you see what he's doing here? In other words, he's saying, sober up. Think about it. There is no one here that says, I hope the next time I fly that my plane crashes. I hope the next time I ride in an automobile, I'm in a horrific accident. Oh, I see this poison. I want to drink it. The next time I go swimming, I hope I drown. And someone says, no, no, normal people would not talk like that. You're right. Now, what's more important, physical death or spiritual death? What reason could you look God in the eyes and say, this is why I want to die spiritually? That question is just to get us to think about our eternity. Soul focus. Why would anyone, anyone, want to die lost. You can know this. God doesn't want you to. God cares for your soul. He's cared so much that He sent prophets to mankind. He cares so much that He sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. He cares so much that He sent His only Son to live and to die. He cares so much that when Jesus ascended, He sent back His Spirit so that we would continually have a clear, distinctive, truthful message about how much God cares. He cares so much that He established His church so that His people and His message would prevail until Jesus comes again. And that's who we are as the church. 
We are the ones that have responded to God. We have turned. We have come to him and we hold up the same message that's 2,000 years old. God loves you. Will you turn? Will you care as God cares? This morning, please see God for who he is. Don't believe the lies of sin. Don't believe that he doesn't care. Oh, he cares. He cares for you. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, are you a believer? Are you ready to repent and turn? Are you ready to stand and not be ashamed, but confess Jesus is the Son of God? Are you ready to be baptized to have those sins removed so that now the God who strengthens, you're connected with Him. You're alive. You're made whole. Maybe you've begun that journey and you've lost the way on that journey. Do you realize that God cares? When the prodigal son came home, the father didn't review the long list of everything he did. The father poured out his grace. He cares. If we can pray with you and for 